Myths are stories about people who become too big for their lives temporarily so that they crash into other lives or brush against God's. In crisis, in crisis, their souls are visible. Well, that is a quote from wild woman poet Anne Carson. And uh, we're going to hear from Anne in just a couple of moments, one of her wonderful poems called The Wolf God. But that quote is my way of inviting you into the third in a Wild Woman Poet series. This is the third episode, and uh, it will feature Anne Carson and several other poets that you will not want to miss. So thank you for joining me uh, on this journey of Wild Women Poets. So let's review what we mean, the characteristics we mean, as we've mentioned a number of times in this series, the characteristics of wild women poets. First of all, they are courageous. And we're using that word in the old sense of core, meaning heart. So courageous means to follow one's heart. And that often does take bravery. And, of course, courage. Number two, they are connected, connected to themselves in that they have an integration of their head and their heart. They are connected with others around them and also connected to the great other, or what we sometimes refer to as the natural world within which we are all embedded And number three of the characteristics of wild women poets, they are certainly creative, reaching out to the muse, allowing us to gaze over their shoulders as they create their magic. Now, as I promised, we're going to begin with a poem from Anne Carson, which was the quote that we started this episode with. And this particular poem is called The Wolf God, Ann Carson, and it goes like this. Like a painting, like a painting, we will be erased. No one can remain. I saw my life as a wolf loping along the road, and I questioned the women of that place. Some regard the wolf as immortal, they said. Now you know this only happened in one case, and that wolves die regularly of various causes. Bears kill them. Tigers hunt them. They get epilepsy. They get a salmon bone crosswise in their throat. They run themselves to death. No one knows why. But perhaps you never heard of their ear trouble. They have very good ears, can hear a cloud pass overhead. And sometimes it happens that a wind-blown seed will bury itself in the aural canal, displacing equilibrium. They go mad trying to stand upright, nothing to link to. Die of anger, 
Only one we know learned to go along with it. He took small steps at first, using the updrafts. Using the updrafts. They called him Huzakal. That means looks good in spring. Things are as hard as you make them. Now, I have loved this poem for many years since the first time I found it, I don't know how long ago, at least a decade. And I love it for its kind of quirkiness. You know, I believe that all good poems, as I've said many times before, they allow us to walk inside and have our own experience. So I don't know what experience you just had. But the experience I get is one of, um, you know, one one of the things I think is that Anne Carson, or at least the speaker in the poem, is talking about some kind of saint. And I, I, of course, I love wolves anyway. And so I love the fact that she's using the wolf as the central character in this poem. Also, um, I have been an admirer of the statement that Ezra Pound made years ago. He said, if the poet is not surprised, the reader will not be either. And so I often, when I come to the end of a poem, if if a surprise comes, <clears throat> a delicious surprise, I just revel in it. And I just love the way she, um, uh, the way the, Anne Carson in this poem uh, comes up with that last line, things are as hard as you make them. Things are as hard as you make them. And it's like she kind of earned that in a way, in the way she tells this amazing story. I should say that Anne Carson is a poet, uh, essayist, and professor of classics and translator and she was born in 1950 in Toronto, Canada. Someone said of her work, said that in the small world of people who keep up with contemporary poetry, um, that Carson has been cutting a large swath, inciting both envy and admiration. Well, she has both for me. And I thought before we jumped into our second poet, uh, our second wild woman poet, of course, that I would tell you there's a short four-line poem that Ann Carson wrote some years ago. I thought I'd share that one with you as well. It's uh, it's just kind of a juicy little uh, poem. And it's, it's entitled, Short Talk on the Sensation of Airplane Takeoff. Short Talk on the Sensation of Airplane Takeoff. She says... The poem goes like this. Well, you know, that could be love running towards my life with its arms up shouting, let's buy it. What a bargain. Ah, I love that. Well, you know, says the poet, that could be love running towards my life with its arms up shouting, let's buy it. What a bargain. (laughs) Ah, great. Okay, let's switch gears now to a poet, again, that has been on my radar screen for many, many years, one who I 
consider to be an amazing poet, and I wanted to include in this third and last episode of Wild Women Poets. Her name is Liesl Mueller, and she was born in um, Germany, Hamburg, Germany, in 1924. She and her family fled the Nazi persecution, arriving in the United States in 1939. Her serious writing of poetry began in 1953 after the death of her mother, and Liesl Mueller died just only a short time ago, died in 2020, and she lived for many, many years and also died in Chicago, Illinois. Okay, so this is another rather short poem. It's called In Passing. In Passing, Liesl Mueller goes like this. How swiftly, how swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness. How swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness. And the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom, as if, as if, as if what exists, exists, so that it can be lost and become precious. How swiftly, how swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness, and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery, in order to break into blossom, as if, as if what exists, exists so that it can be lost and become precious. That, um, that conundrum, that paradox that she talks about in the third stanza of this brief little poem, when she says, As if what exists exists, so that it can be lost and become precious. It is one of the more fierce and also amazingly sublime characteristics, it seems, of this life, that those things that become most precious are often most precious because they have been lost. And it reminds me of one of my one of the people that I have wonderfully called a friend and mentor of the years, Brother David Stindlerast, who used to say, not all paradoxes are great truths, but in order to be a great truth, it must be a paradox. And surely that last paragraph is both a paradox and a great truth, as if what exists exists so that it can be lost and become precious. 
I was looking at several notes about Liza Mueller's life, and a couple of quotes jumped out at me. One is, she said, what luxury, what luxury to be so happy that we can grieve over imaginary lives. Thought that was wonderful. And then also one other quote that that stood out for me. Memory and poetry go together. Absolutely. It is a matter of preserving and remembering things. So says poet Liesl Mueller. Okay, let's switch gears to our next poet, our third and final poet for this episode. And that poet is none other than Denise Levertov, who is just, oh, what an amazing poet she was. And the poem I have for us is called The Secret. And like the other poems that I've used today, this is another one that's been in my bag of beloved poems for a long time. It's called, again, The Secret. It goes like this. Two girls discover the secret of life in a sudden line of poetry. Two girls discover the secret of life in a sudden line of poetry. I, who don't know the secret, wrote the line they told me. Now, in those two beginning stanzas, we get the just the interesting opening breadth of this poem that two girls have discovered the secret of life suddenly, amazingly, wonderfully, and they have just informed the poet of this who has forgotten that secret. So she goes on um, to say, well, let, let me let me start at the second stanza again. I who don't know the secret wrote the line they told me through a third person. They had found it, but not what it was, not even what line it was. No doubt by now, no doubt by now, more than a week later, they have forgotten the secret. The line, the name of the poem, I love them for finding what I can't find and for loving me for the line I wrote and for forgetting it so that a thousand times till death finds them. They may discover it again in other lines, in other happenings, and for wanting to know it for assuming there is such a secret, yes, for that most of all. One of my core ideas about the deep value of poetry is that it reminds us over and over of what is most critical in our lives. Indeed, the secret of life. 
just as surely as we then constantly forget that secret and need reminding. Two girls discover the secret of life in a sudden line of poetry. I, who don't know the secret, wrote the line. They told me through a third person. They had found it, but not what it was, not even what line it was. No doubt, by now, more than a week later, they have forgotten the secret. The line, the name of the poem, I love them. I love them for finding what I can't find and for loving me for the line I wrote and for forgetting it so that a thousand times till death finds them, they may discover it again in other lines, in other happenings, and for wanting to know it, and for wanting to know it, for assuming there is such a secret. Yes, for that most of all. I don't know about you, but I experience life so often in a way that it's like it conspires to have me forget the secrets. And I, I, I say conspire and sort of chuckle because I know there is no such conspiracy. And actually this poem begins to say to us, oh, what a blessing, what an amazing blessing that we can be grateful for, that we can be thankful for, that we are constantly forgetting the secret or maybe the secrets, and that part of this life, part of the joy, the paradoxical joy, as we were talking a little earlier uh, about paradox, but part of the paradoxical joy of this life is that over and over and over again, we get to rediscover the secrets. We get to have our way become unclear. We get to become confused and muddled. And then all of a sudden, once in a while, once in a while, we get to step into a magical, mysterious, incredible clearing. And for at least a few moments, we know and get and grok and understand and feel the secret of life. You know, one of the things that I say is that, or I believe about poetry, is that it allows us to remember 
ourselves. And I think this that she's talking about in this poem, Denise Levertov, is a is a kind of remembering. And we're talking about the joy of that process. And if you think about that word, which I have thought about being a word nerd for many years, if you're a poet, I think, and if you love poetry, you become a language and word nerd. But what I'm talking about is the very word remember. And if you think about, you break that word down to remember. It is to put ourselves back together in a new and more powerful way. To remember ourselves in poetry, and particularly wild women poets' poetry, is brilliant at that. So I wanted to tell you a little bit about the poet's life. She was one of the 20th century's foremost American poets, many agree with that statement. She was born in England in 1923. She immigrated to the United States in 1948, living in Somerville, Massachusetts for a number of years while teaching at Brandeis, MIT, and Tufts. And later she taught at Stanford, had a very illustrious career. And she died in 1997. A couple of quotes from the poet. She says in one quote, Grief is a hole you walk around in the daytime and at night, and at night you fall into it. Another quote, I'm not very good at praying, but what I experience when I'm writing a poem is close to prayer. And then one final quote by Denise Levertov. Both art and faith are dependent on imagination. Both are ventures into the unknown. Indeed, they are. So I sometimes like to end with the same quote we used to get ourselves kicked off in this episode, we said, we used an Ann Carson quote where she said, myths are stories about people who become too big for their lives temporarily so that they crash into other lives or brush against gods. In crisis, their souls are visible. In crisis, their souls are visible. So says wild woman poet Ann Carson. Well, that's a wrap. And I hope these poems have helped in some small way, to use Ann Carson's language and metaphor, I hope these poems have helped in some small way to make your soul a bit more visible. Okay, so I love the fact that you are continuing to join me here on this podcast and on these journeys and these poetic uh, journeys that we are taking. So if you like what you're hearing, of course, tell other people, leave a comment if you'd like. That would all be wonderful. And in the meantime, in the meantime, 
take good care of yourself.